The account of Noah and the ark and the flood is one of the most familiar parts of the Bible. And it might be the most familiar part of the Old Testament period, and not just to Christians, but to anyone who knows anything about the Bible. In fact, awareness of the Noah story, if you want to call it that, is in the news these days because uh, just in the past two weeks, a a life-size, well, true-to-life size uh, replica of it has opened up in northern Kentucky and it has drawn attention and it has drawn criticism, uh, including from outside of the church. But it, but it is focusing attention once again upon this part of the Bible that we just happened to cover last week in our vacation Bible school. And as we were going through the week, I was just like, the kids are hearing this and everyone needs to hear this. And I think that you'll agree with me. Because even though it's familiar to us, so many people don't really know it. Familiarity does not equal faith. Familiarity with the premise of a narrative doesn't necessarily correspond to believing or even understanding that narrative. Um, In fact, there are many Christians and non-Christians, many who believe and many who don't believe, who maybe feel familiar with what Genesis says about all this, but that's only because it's been told so many times and in so many ways. But proximity to truth does not equal living by that truth. Proximity to truth does not equal actually believing that truth in your heart. Like children playing a game of telephone, which we did over the course of the week, In my group, the facts, what God has to really say about Noah has sometimes been lost in translation. And the the result is that the Noah story gets relegated to being just that, a story. When it's really God's story, it's His story, it's history, it's history. And that's something our children heard this week, and I pray that they will take that with them going forward. And at the risk of things being repetitive to the children who were there and to the leaders who were there, I want to speak to all of you from God's Word about this. And it's not because I want to recap VBS, but because if you weren't here, you need to know what the Bible says about this. You don't need to just be familiar with the story. Noah's Ark is relevant right here and right now to us. And it's as relevant to us now as it was to Noah. First, let's pray. Father, we thank you first for an outstanding week of Vacation Bible School. We thank you for the opportunity you afforded this church to pour ourselves into children and to pour your word into children. Uh, we thank you, Father, for, uh, for that, and we entrust them to you that your word will not return void. And so now we're here, and and Father, we ask that your name might be glorified. We ask that that same blessing, the word not returning void, might be afforded to us. We recognize, Father, or at least we need to recognize this morning, our unworthiness. That it is gracious of you to even communicate with us as you do through your word. And so we thank you for that, and we ask for your help by your grace to implant your word on our hearts that you might be glorified in how we live and that you might build this church into a vessel 
for your word and for your exaltation. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It might be fitting that uh, what, fo- what, what follows now follows the sermons of the past two Sundays. God ordains everything that happens, and so this is His will in that respect. I said last week that it had been a couple of pretty bad weeks in our country. Um, there were ungodly Supreme Court decisions about abortion and religious liberty. Um, we have saw in the past week and a half the escalating conflict in our nation with respect to the color of people's skins and how that just is just seems to be bubbling up uh, above the surface now, and, and it needs to. We, we, we need to have frank discussions about these things, and we talked about that quite a bit last week. But, but today we are reminded, this week we have been reminded, that we are not alone in the world uh, with bad things happening. Um, nationally, the, the, the people of France have been hit again this week. The, the nation of Turkey is in turmoil. Um, and it seems the, the world this week, the, 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 the extent of our, our depravity is being extended. We're discovering new lengths, as it were, to the, the lengths of our depravity. But the more things change, beloved, the more they stay the same. Because... When it comes to Genesis 6, we're talking about something that happened sixteen to 1,700 years after the creation of all things. We're something, talking about something that happened about 4,300 years ago. When God, you know, at first, He created this perfect world. He created this world without sin, right? And He created this world in righteousness. He created this world without defect, without pain, without suffering, without frailty, without death. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, had perfect and close fellowship with God. And, you know, we, we use the phrase all as well. Well, when it comes to the Garden of Eden, when it comes to how God created this world, literally all was well. But we know what happened. We know what happened. Adam and Eve didn't just fall from grace. They leaped out of it. They sinned. They literally decided that what God has provided for them, what God has commanded for them, was not good enough for them. They decided that God's word was not sufficient. They decided that the serpent was to be believed before the very one who created them. This is man choosing darkness instead of the light. This is sin entering the world and death through sin. And over the next millennium and a half, the effects of sin wreaked increasing havoc on humanity, which, having been created in the image of God, no longer had that close fellowship with Him. And things are not so different now as they were then. The depths of our depravity are on abundant display. They are on display in France. They are on display in Turkey. They are on display in Dallas and St. Paul and and Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They are on display in Washington, D.C. They are on display in Cleveland and on wherever the other convention is. And they are on display in Carthage, North Carolina. Just as in the first few verses of Genesis 6, we find out that Noah's world was filled with with uh, sexual immorality. His world was filled with the fruits of that poison. 
And, and just as we read in, in verse 11 of chapter 6, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. It was filled with violence. So too is the world now filled with the fruits, the poisonous fruits of, of sexual immorality today. And the world is filled with corruption. The world is filled with violence from one side of the world to the other, up and down. And that's just what makes the headlines. That's just what dominates our 24-hour news cycles. What doesn't make the headlines is our own depravity. Our own sinfulness. The way we so often decide that what God has provided for us and what God has commanded for us isn't good enough for us. We decide to follow our own way instead of what God has commanded. And we say we, we trust God. We say we believe the Bible. But so many of us so rarely go to the Bible for how we are to think, for what we are to say, for how we are to live, what we are to do. And that's true of individuals. That's true of churches. And the results are not too much different as they were then. People ignore God People sin, people gratify the self. What we know in the back of our heads, but too often don't have at the forefront of our thoughts, informing everything we do, is that God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming, beloved. When God sees rampant rebellion in people, when he sees rampant rebellion in a society, when he sees rampant rebellion in the world, he will not tolerate it forever. We can say with the psalmist, how long, O Lord, will you tolerate these things? But we know from Scripture that it won't be forever. Sometimes we get impatient about that. Maybe we sometimes feel like people get away with wrong. People get away with all kinds of things and nothing ever seems to happen to them. But God does and God will always inevitably judge. Sometimes He's just more patient about that than we like Him to be. We ought to take pause there because what if it's us? In Genesis 6, He said in verse 7, I will... Blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. From man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky. For I am sorry that I have made them. Do we want to be sorry God made us? Beloved, that, by the way, that's not God saying he made a mistake making man, creating man. God does not make mistakes and I hope that you know that. God does not make mistakes, but, but in the way He sometimes chooses to communicate with humans, it's almost as if he, he humanizes Himself in the way He communicates so that you and I can better understand how grievous the sins of Noah's day were to Him. And by the way, how grievous your sin is to Him too. And mine. We are quick to speak about the depravity of Noah's days, beloved, but we must come to grips with the depths of our own depravity as well. Our utter insufficiency before God, our unworthiness, our deserving to be blotted out because God takes all of this very personally. God takes your sin very personally. But we thank God for His grace.
Our children's theme verse this week was Genesis 6-8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That word favor, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And what is grace but unmerited favor? What is grace but God giving you something that you cannot earn? God giving you something that you did not, do not, cannot, would not ever deserve? God had, by His own will and for His own glory, set Noah apart from the rest of humanity. He was like them, but He was not like them because God set him apart for His own purposes and saved Noah from his sins. Noah was a sinner. He sinned before the ark. He sinned on the ark, I'm sure. He sinned after the ark, definitely. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in showing Noah grace, God provided a way of salvation. He says, go make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. God said, uh, giving Noah, he gave Noah very specific instructions on how to do it because verse 17, Behold, I, even I, am going to bring the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. God made it abundantly clear that God's judgment was coming. And Noah was going to have to respond just as God told him to. And and by the way, Noah had 120 years to process this. Noah had 120 years to build that boat just as God told him to. Noah had 120 years to tell other people about the judgment that was coming. To to be the preacher of righteousness that 2 Peter 2 verse 5 says that he was. Noah had 120 years to be utterly rejected by everyone but his closest family. God's judgment was coming and Noah would have to respond just as God told him to. And likewise, beloved, God has promised you and me this morning, God has promised all of us, and God has promised everyone in this world that judgment is coming again and you and I, we, everyone must respond just as God has told us to. Noah did... What God commanded. Look at chapter 6 verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. There's three descriptive phrases there that show us what Noah did. And let's unpack them one by one. First, Noah was a righteous man. Now, what that does not mean, it does not mean that Noah attained this righteousness on his own. When we see that somebody was a righteous man, it can mean that they were living righteously, that they were living like God wanted them to. But I don't think that's what's being said here because of something else that's said in the next phrase. But what I believe this is saying here is that Noah did not attain this righteousness on his own. It was credited to him. Noah was the recipient of another righteousness. Noah was the recipient of God's righteousness in the same way that you and I this morning, you and I are not righteous on our own. But God credits us, if, if we come to Him by faith, God credits us with the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 is the verse that I always think about here. It says, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, and that us is all who will ever believe in Jesus. 
God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that what? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, in him. What that means, beloved, is that the one who is righteous, the one First John 2 verse 1 says, is Jesus Christ the righteous. He never sinned, but he was treated as a sinner by his Father. He was punished as a sinner by God the Father so that every sinner who puts his trust in Jesus or puts her trust in Jesus is treated as righteous, whereas Jesus was treated as a sinner. The just died for the unjust so that the unjust could be treated as just. The Bible says that we are justified, we are declared righteous by God as a result of our faith. Noah was a righteous man because he had been credited with that righteousness by God on the basis of his faith in God. And the question to you you this morning, the question to me is, by what are you being justified this morning? By what are you being justified this morning? On what basis do you stand before God if you stand at all? Well, the second phrase we see is that Noah was blameless in his time. He was blameless in his time. That word in some translations is perfect. He was perfect. I prefer blameless because it it doesn't carry the possible misunderstanding that Noah never sinned. Because as I've already said, he did sin. But he was blameless. And, And what does that mean? Blameless in that while he did sin, he also lived a life of repentance. While he did sin, he also humbly sought forgiveness. He lived a life that wasn't just talking talk but not walking the walk. He lived a life that was striving to please God. Noah lived a life where he really did try to glorify God in all he did. He didn't just talk about it. And no, he didn't always live up to his aspirations, but he also didn't make excuses when he didn't live up to his aspirations. Noah didn't make excuses for his failures. Instead, he repented and kept trying to live up to those aspirations, to do what God told him to do. And likewise for the Christian, what does 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 say is our ambition. Our ambition is to be pleasing to Him. That's it. You want a mission statement for your life? Your ambition is to be pleasing to Him. And that covers everything, doesn't it? In one sentence. But that's what Noah was trying to do. And this morning, beloved, what are your true aspirations? What are your ambitions in life? Are you living blamelessly before God? Or do you say you trust in Him, and then you say you try to live for Him, but you end up justifying your own decisions. You end up justifying your own attitudes, your own words, your own sin. It's a scary thing that God knows the heart. But God knows the heart. And Noah was blameless in his time. It also says, thirdly, Noah walked with God. I asked my kids in my group, in my small group this week, what they do when they go on a walk. And at first they looked at me confused. Well, we, we walk. Um, but when I dug a little deeper, sometimes you, you hold someone's hand. 
You know, I, I hold my wife's hand when we go for a walk sometimes. More likely, I'm holding one of my girls' hands when we go for a walk. I'm either because they want to or because I want them to not be in the middle of the road. But uh, there's intimacy there. There's deep love there. There's fellowship there. There's intimate relationship. When you're walking with someone, you know, you're talking to them. They're talking to you. And this is... Uh, the, a true relationship going on as you travel down a path wherever you're going, together, whatever your destination is. And it's like that with God. Noah listened to the Word of God and Noah talked to God. God has spoken to us, Hebrews 1 says, through His Son and through His Word. We listen to God We don't try to discern an audible voice. We listen to Him through the Scriptures. And we talk to God in prayer. Beloved, are you holding God's hand this morning as you travel down the path of life? Or are you just claiming to be on that path while really you're doing your own thing, you're going at your own pace, your own way? Noah walked with God. There is security in that. There is blessing in that. There is an intimate fellowship with God in that. Do you walk with God? One way to know if you do walk with God is to exhibit the same kind of life that Noah did, the same characteristics in your life that Noah did. And we see this not only in those three phrases from verse 9, but also look at verse 22. After God told him how to build the ark, how to prepare for the flood... Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. So God revealed his will through his word. God told Noah how he wanted Noah to live, how to proceed in a way that was right, in a way that was pleasing to him, in a way that would reflect their relationship. And Noah did not pick and choose which of God's instructions he wanted to follow. God didn't say, build it this many cubits high, build it this many cubits long. And Noah didn't come along and say, well, I've got a better plan for how to do this. No, he did all that God commanded him. And again, in chapter 7, verse 5, Noah did all according to all that the Lord had commanded him. And whenever whenever we see repetition like that in Scripture, it means pay attention. God wants us to take note of that. Noah did according to all God said. Why don't we? And I look in the mirror too. Too many profess to believe in Jesus today, beloved, who don't follow His instructions. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say, is what Jesus told a group of people in Luke 6.46. God's Word becomes this reference tool for us rather than an intricate part of how we live our lives. You know, Colossians 3.16 tells us to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. We are too often content to take little bite-sized nuggets here and there. Maybe take one little nugget away on a Sunday morning and another one the next Sunday morning instead of letting the Word of Christ dwell in us 
richly, overflowingly. And Jesus said, what comes out of a man is what's in him. Noah did all God commanded. But for too many who call themselves Christians, we don't even bother to look to the Bible for what God commanded. We simply bring it with us on on Sunday or or leave it behind or or whatever. And that goes for how you live your life and, and it goes for how churches do business and it goes for everything we will ever do. And it's for sure a reason there is far too little evangelism going on today. But Noah found grace. Noah was righteous. Noah was blameless. Noah walked with God. So what? Noah did all God commanded him. He didn't pick and choose which commands he would obey so that he could say, look what I did. Now I feel better about myself while I left all these other things alone. He did according to all God commanded. Do you even aspire to do all God commands you, beloved? We need repentance. We need repentance. We need real humility. And if we don't have that, we've got to remember that judgment is coming. And thank God He has provided a way of salvation. Because for Noah, it was an ark. Starting in chapter 7, verse 6, and going through to the end of that chapter, we read about the devastation of this flood. And beloved, let me tell you something. We tend to think of Noah, and we think of 40 days and 40 nights of rain. That's just the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Because the Bible speaks about it a lot more violently than that. When we consider the text, the fountains of the deep opened up, The floodgates of the sky of heaven opened and for 40 days and for 40 nights it was a flood coming from above and below. Today, when scientific talking heads get together and get on TV shows and try to dismiss what Genesis says, they too often don't give credence to their own scientific data that tells us the power of water is an incredible is an incredibly destructive power. This was a disaster of unimaginable proportions. People use the phrase of biblical proportions. Of course it was of biblical proportions. We can't even consider the devastation. The ground moved. Mountains rose. Mountains fell. All over the world. There were volcanic eruptions. Earthquakes all over the place. And think about this, beloved. Every time... There is an earthquake in our world today. Every time that a volcano goes off, it's basically an aftershock of the flood. We are reminded of that every time that happens. And it's not just an aftershock, but it is a warning to you and it is a warning to me. A warning of future judgment, a birth pang even, letting us know the time is coming for what the prophets told us is coming. The time is coming for what Jesus Himself said would happen. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Lawlessness will increase. People will move to and fro and it will be as in the days of who? The days of Noah. And when He is not expected, He will return. The one who conquered sin, the one who conquered death will come and He will put a final full end to sin and death forever. And on that day... Those who aren't found in Him, those who don't recognize their own sin, those who do not in humility 
confess their unrighteousness and their lack of worthiness and turn their eyes upon Jesus. For them, it will be as if they were outside of that ark when the windows of heaven opened and the fountains of the deep burst forth. It will be as if they are flooded by their own sin. And sin always results in death. There will be a great many who said, but I'm a Christian. Look at what I did. Look, I, look, at, look at me. And they'll say, don't forget us, Lord. And he will say what? Depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because while you might talk the talk, you never walked the walk. You weren't like Noah, credited with the righteousness of God by faith living blamelessly, walking with God in obedience to faith. And the thing of it is, while we don't know when Jesus will return, if your death comes before He he does, you're still out of luck. That'll be it. You won't get a second chance. It'll be too late, and the judgment of sin will be like water flooding your lungs, and you'll choke to death on it. You'll drown in your own unrighteousness, if God has not credited it with you with the righteousness of His Son. But if you have come to Him by faith, there is good news. God will be faithful to you. We live in this world of uncertainty. People walked through the doors this morning and we were talking about the craziness of this world. It's crazy. We... What's going to happen this week that we'll be talking about next Sunday when we come together? I wonder. Life is tough sometimes. Life can be unimaginably tough. We've seen in Luke over and over again, though, that Jesus did not promise us an easy life. He doesn't promise His disciples our best life now. He promises us, rather, that we'll be hated by this world. Why? Because they hated Him. Jesus doesn't promise us success. In fact, Jesus doesn't even call us to success. He calls us to faithfulness. And God will be faithful to you too. Genesis 8.1 we see, But God remembered Noah. The flood came, but God remembered Noah. He never forgot Noah, by the way. But again, this is in terms that we can understand so that you and I can understand the faithfulness of God. God remembered Noah. God remembered all of His people. Through the ark, He delivered Noah back to life on the earth. And through His Son, Jesus, He delivers us through sin and through death to everlasting life with Him. To which the only proper response is the same Noah gave when he came off the ark. Genesis 8 verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. God had had uh, Noah take two of each kind of animal and then seven of every clean animal. Do you remember that? Well, Why did he take seven? Because probably there were three males and three females. But what's that seventh one for? It was for this. Because God knew that Noah would want to thank him. 
And that's what happened here. That seventh animal was for sacrifice, for thanksgiving, for worship. And that's how you and I need to respond to God this morning. How should we respond to the faithfulness of God? How can we respond to the faithfulness of God but to thank Him and worship Him? And no, God does not call us to sacrifice animals. Jesus is our once for all sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of the world. But God does call on us to sacrifice our pride. And God does call on us to sacrifice our preferences and our traditions and our agendas and our whatever, maybe even our relationships, our possessions, our whatever it is, maybe even our lives for the sake of following Jesus Christ. As Samuel said to Saul, after Saul wouldn't obey God every step of the way, To obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Jesus says, don't, he doesn't say sacrifice an animal. He says, repent, believe, follow me. God calls on you and God calls on me to live lives of thanksgiving, not just in November and not just when good things happen. Happened, but as, as our kids learned this week, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And no matter the loss of earthly things, no matter the loss of earthly relationships, it is worth it. Because though the world be flooded by sin and death, God will still be God and God will still be good, and God will always be faithful to His true children. The whole Noah story, the Noah history, the ark at least, ends in chapter 8 verse 21 going through chapter 9 verse 17. God when Noah gets off the ark, you know, Noah was a sinner when he went on the ark. Noah was a sinner when he came off the ark. So the intent of man's heart, God says, is still evil from his youth. But God does say he will never again destroy the earth with a flood. He, he made a covenant promise. And God is true and truthful and he keeps his promises. And the sign of the covenant that God made with Noah, we know, is the rainbow. Many twist the meaning of the rainbow today to fit their agendas the way many people twist what it means to be a Christian to fit their own agendas. But God will not be mocked by either one of those who twist His agendas. The covenant faithfulness of God to His people will remain. God has provided for us but one way to escape God provided one way to escape the judgment of a flood. God has provided us one way to escape the judgment from our sins. And it is Jesus. And it is not enough to say it. It is not enough to sing it. It is not enough to come to church. It is not enough to do this and do that. But if you trust in Him, you will be as Noah and you will live it. And God can tell the difference. So may we be those who live it. If today you're not, 
rather than despair or rather than get mad, I, I implore you to seek the Lord in humility. To seek the Lord in genuine repentance. And even to make that repentance public. Jesus says, Paul writes, it's God's word. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As we sing, maybe you will do that this morning. Who knows? But I'm not even sure what our last song is. and I'm not sure it matters. But what we sing should be unto the Lord. It should not be mindless. It should not be routine. Just as everything we do when we walk out these doors today should not be mindless and should not be routine with a badge of Christian on it. May we be as Noah and do all that God commands. And we will do so if He permits. Let's pray. Father, may You be glorified among us today. I pray that each and every person here would escape the coming judgment by taking shelter in Your Son. And just as Noah was a preacher of righteousness who warned others of the coming flood and yet was rejected. May we be those who, even in the face of rejection, faithfully take your word to all peoples that by your grace, grace which you have shown us, more might escape the judgment to come. Work in our hearts, Father, that while not perfect, We will be credited with your righteousness. We will walk with you. We will do as you command by the power of your spirit, glorifying your son in whose name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.